ex-Luton, ex-Spurs physio John Sheridan has written a book called The Limping Physio. And there's a touching bit where John Motson's commentary is quoted because you, you attended, you worked two FA Cup finals, a losing one and a winning one. Uh, and Motty said, is it through hard work and discipline you can still get a job even if you're hopping on one leg? That's right, he did. Well, words for that effect, yes. And, uh, yeah, I, I think I, was, well, I never tried to get into professional football. I, I tried when David Plea um, offered me the job. I told him, you don't really want me because I've got a limp. Get someone that, that uh, is really fit and I'll do the reserves for you. It was you an incredibly, to. just to mention, this failed job interview because you failed to not get the job. By succeeding, you you failed because you went into the interview just doing everything you could, saying, no, 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 I'm all right. Uh, I can't remember where you were, Tring, I think, at the time, having been at Vauxhall yeah. Motors FC, which is a team I remember from the, uh, the 1990s being uh, a strong non-league team, made up as it was of, was it purely factory workers at Vauxhall, where your dad used to work? Most of them, yeah. Most of them were factory workers. Um, they, were, they were great, they were good players. Bring good back side. the works team. Yeah, the works team. It was a works team. It was Luton, the works team. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was a really good side. I mean, and, and really enjoyed it. Great pitch, great facilities. You know, and we had the backing of the whole factory. You know, yes, it, indeed, it was it's a big factory job. as well. It's the yeah. main employer in Luton. Yeah. And this was this was the time before the big explosion of South Asian immigration, which Safraz Manzal writes about in his book Greetings from Berry Park. So, were you in Luton yeah. when the Asian migration came in? I was. Yes. 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 And, well, we've seen what happened for bad, but it must be for good, predominantly, if you're a fan of Asian cuisine. It wasn't. I think what destroyed Luton, really, uh, because Luton was a beautiful market town. It's still a nice town. But when they built the Armdale Centre and they destroyed the centre of Luton, they took all these beautiful buildings down and and built this Armdale Centre. So the outdoor market went. And and so a a lot of... Luton's past went, as with a lot of uh, big towns and cities, you know, the population, I think in Luton, the problem was that some of it was never integrated, you know, some of the cultures was never integrated, and I think that was a big problem, you know. Yeah, happens in uh, Bradford, Oldham, Coventry, to an extent, Um, and this is a British problem, and it it has to change now, but as a... As a Jew, I'm seeing lots of disturbing things in the press saying that if you, uh, it's not kosher to report sexual abuse of someone who has become of bar mitzvah or bat mitzvah age, which is not compatible um, with a football podcast or indeed the English law. But yes, Luton is a place I've been to. It, it did seem that it, like a lot of towns in Britain, it's trading on the past glory. But great non-league teams, Luton Town have finally gone back to the second tier Possibly yeah. not big enough for the Premier League, but miracles have happened. I mean, in the olden days, in the glory days of Radomir Antic, and of, of which I'm sorry for your loss, and uh, David yeah. Plea. David's got a memoir out next year. Will you be in it? I hope so. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm sure I will. I'm sure David will mention me somewhere there. He is. And so we did have great pleasure. You talk about Rally Antic. What a, what a man, you know, and died suddenly you know quickly and a great great player great player you know i remember raddy when he first joined luton town and i i i took him home um, he'd been training i took him home to my house for, for lunch and uh, 
he couldn't speak any or very little English, and then uh, three or four months later, he's speaking fluent English. He's, he's just an incredible man, and he'll always be remembered for that great goal at Man City that kept us up. But other than that, he's just a complete gentleman and, and such a technical, brilliant technical player. I, I love Raddy. Absolutely a gentleman. And, and fortunately enough, you know, we had a, a get-together maybe two or three years ago, Christmas, all the old staff and players, and, and Raddy came over from um, Spain and... Uh, it was, it was lovely, and we spent the night and chatting away, and all the old legends, and it was just a lovely evening. And, and fortunately enough, um, I spent a bit of time with Reddy, so it was nice. Yeah, he's one of those players who gets a bit lost in the shuffle um, because he didn't play for a glamorous club. We're actually uh, this month. David Beckham's production company is producing effectively a hagiography of the Premier League. Um, I expect it'll be, wow, foreign superstars and Cantona kicking someone and Beckham from the halfway line. But football didn't really change until Bosman. So I'm very interested about, in the Venables era, less so the Ardiles era, but that era um, of between 1988, when the plans for the Premier League um, were leaked, 92, when it was founded, or 91, and then 95, Bosman... Did football change? Did the pitches get better overnight because of the investment? No, I don't think so. I think football football changed really for the worse when all the money came in. Yeah, Carlos when, Kickerball when money, and all that. Yeah, yeah. when the money came in, I remember speaking to uh, Brian Moore, I think the old uh, yep. ITV guy, and I think Tottenham maybe were one of the first clubs actually on Sky Television televised them. I said to Brian, I said, Brian, you know, the great game that we know is gone. You know, money is going to spoil it. And he uh, he said, I tend to agree with you, John. And I said that to David Plea, and he said to me, he said to me, you are a cynical bee. I said, David, I said, I'm not. I said, I'm, I'm a realist. And I realised what we had at Luton, you know, that close family atmosphere where we were all together where players would look after you they would uh, they weren't selfish and I think as as time went on I think players became became a little bit selfish you know and yeah. they were out for what they what they could get not for the club you know not you had I mean you had fellas at Tottenham like Gary Nabber what a what an ambassador for Tottenham he was or the mankind himself because he is just you know, all the things he's had to uh, overcome and, you know, and Gary was never selfish or he always thought about you. He always thanked you if you treated him as most of the Tottenham players at that time did. You know, if you treated them or you come in early so they could get away to their kid's birthday party or something, you know, they would they were always appreciated bringing a bottle of wine in and just nice. Did you treat nice. the German... Was he there at the no, time? No, I didn't. No, he wasn't. No, okay. just before I'd left, just before. The only German I treated was when I went over to Lazio with Gaza. Um, was it Thomas Dole? Uh, yes, Dole. Thomas Dole. D-O-H-L, yes. I, tr- I, tr- I treated Thomas Dole over there because when I used to go over to Italy, 
often I would get involved in, in treating the players because because the latter medical staff knew that I had no I didn't want to work over there so so they, they were quite happy with me to treat the players so I, I was treating uh, well Gaza was training I'd do a bit of treatment you know which, which was brilliant really yeah really. well yes in Rome really, that's a, it's a good place yeah, to be Rome. I've got this book uh, Daniel Story wrote a little it's like a novella Gaza in Italy uh, which is the time of his three years at Lazio, or rather 18 months and then 18 months of just disaster. I, I imagine you're mentioned at some point. I read it a while ago. Um, do you know of, of this book? Do you know it exists? I, I didn't, Johnny, no. Ah. no. Yeah, this is the bit where we have to talk about Paul or Gaza. Um, the subheadings in this book include knee troubles, the transfer saga and the arrival in Rome, the clown prince, the people's favourite, yo-yo diets, battles with addiction and Zeman and the end of the dream. Were you treating Paul or were you treating Gaza? Paul, Paul. You know what I Paul, mean by that Paul. question? Are you treating the legend or are you treating the person? Yeah. Yeah, I was treating the person. I never... in When I treated players, whether he was the... Apprentice, or it was Gaza or Glenn Hoddle, I treat them all the same, mentally and physically. So if they stepped out of line, I would tell them, you know. And Gaza was the same. He wouldn't get any. He wouldn't get away with too much with me. I know when I was treating him, he he was he was brilliant. You know, I couldn't ask any more from him. You know, he but but away from me, I don't know. You know, I know he's got a great sense of humour. Did you ever play and table tennis with him? I have, yes. How good is yes. he? Apparently he's very good. I'm a little bit worse than him. Say no more. Yeah, but so, so Gaza had this injury in the, which overshadowed the triumph of the 91 Cup final, which actually got Spurs into Europe that season. So you, yes. would, you would be over lots of fun um, tra- plane trips in that 91-2 season. Where did you go? Portugal, didn't we? Did we go to Amsterdam? There was a few of them. Yeah, I went on all of them. All, all the ones that... Uh, but when you go abroad, you know, these games, you don't see any of the... You don't see any of the place. All you see is the ground. And all I see is the treatment room or the dressing room. Um, and then when you come out, it's usually dark anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, but, just, but just looking all, at the... Looking at Hajduk split in what was Yugoslavia and is now Croatia. Um, second yeah. round was... Um, Yep, a Porto. Uh, and the third round uh, was Feyenoord, which must have been a very Feyenoord. good Feyenoord team. Yeah, it was. I think Johnny Metcalf was playing for him, wasn't he? Ooh, but yeah, this is ninety one, ninety two. so just before the Premier League was yeah. established. Spurs had already voted to be in the Premier League. Um, Peter Shreves was the manager, yeah. so Terry had already gone. Was that because of the court case? I think Terry had moved upstairs, hadn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think Terry Terry become chief executive, so Peter Shreves took over, and I believe Dougie Livermore and Ray Clements uh, helped him were helping him. Yeah, uh, Torsvet, Mabbott, well, Fenwick, Vanderhouse, Sedgley, Stewart, Naeem, Allen, Samways, yeah. Walsh, Howells, Dury, Lineker, good eleven. Yeah, and yes, Metgod, Ed yeah. Dachoy, uh, Rob Vitschka, yeah. uh, and Reggie Blinker playing for Feyenoord. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, that, that era, was there a bit of um, excitement about effectively money in 92? Because that's all the Premier League seemed to be 
that era. I think it was all about money, wasn't it? Money was becoming a major part of the game then. The great game that I knew was being left behind. You know, I always think, I, I believe that now, you know. I just wonder what football would have been like like now without all the money going into it. Well, I know, because uh, I go to sure. St Albans, I go to Wealdstone, Boreham Wood. That's, yeah. where, that's yeah. where football lives. Absolutely, I agree with you. Yeah. I, I said that earlier. That, that's, that is where football is. That's... That's where I love football. I love grassroots football at the moment. Uh, I do love grassroots football. You do get it in the lower reaches of the football league. You yeah. know, I still think that, you know, you, there's the passion and, you know, the love of the game where, where players, where it hurts them if they get beat. I used to see it early on, you know, if, if a player, if you, if you got beat, you know, be quiet in the dressing room. And even at Spurs, my early days, it, it went quiet. And then someone would start going and then uh, maybe a table would go up and before you know it, a few cups of tea. And it, it, but it, it was all passion. It was Players cared about it. They cared about their club. They cared, cared about each other. They cared about the result. They cared about the supporters, you know, that the, the, they'd let them down. You know, it, it was a different type of football. And now we've got the grassroots football and that's where we see it. We do see it. And that's why I love going to watch Corby or, or you know, it, it's, it's, it's lovely to watch um, non-league. You know, you can stand there and just enjoy the efforts of the players, you know. But you're not... Not, not for money. Indeed. But you're not the kind to... Because Elton John apparently calls up various Watford managers and says, have you seen this footballer? You should take a punt on him. Uh, tell us the story of um, David Pleat trying, asking you to become a scout. He phoned me up one day in the treat room and he just said, would you um, would you go and have a look at a player tonight? And I said, yeah, of course I will. What, what do you want me to watch him for? He said, well, what, what do you think? To watch him, if he's any good. I said, David, I know nothing about football. I will go and watch him. I'll tell him. I'll try and tell you when he got injured and what the injury was. And he said, you won't change. And he slammed the phone I down. love that. I love that. And he just went, <laughs> No. <laughs> slammed phone have to ask someone else. You won't change. Um, no. You, no, because your involvement in football came from um, initially volunteering with the St. John's or St. John's Ambulance. Is it St. John's or St. John's? St. John's. It is yeah. St. John's. St. John's. Yeah, which is still omnipresent around football. Would you not want to volunteer nowadays at a football league grounds, perhaps? No. No, I don't think so. I, I, I've done over a thousand games. I loved every one of them I think it was time for me to move on and, and there's people that are much more expert now in uh, in first aid and, and to do the job I mean at the time when I done it I I did love it I loved my first aid uh, that was my background um, but now no no there's people that are much better qualified now than, than myself to do it but I did I did uh, I did enjoy it is it 15 and 2 or 17 and 3 if someone is not breathing what's the compressions I couldn't really tell you uh. at the moment I would be lying I know how to do it but um, if you ask my my son and my grandson because they've both done football coaching courses but I over the last two or three years I've not kept up with it I know how to do it. I could save someone's life. But it changes so often um, that I couldn't 
really tell you the ratio at the present time. I'll have a look later when we finish this. Well, no, yeah. it's all right. I'll, we are, um, it yeah. is 30 and 2. 30 and 2. 30 I know it was a lot. Probably. Wow. But Johnny, I couldn't, I couldn't say because people would be listening and if I gave them the wrong information, that would be completely wrong. Thus speaks someone with a duty of care. Um, I was going to ask what's in the toolbox of a physio who would get on one of these muddy pitches or a plastic... Oh, did you prefer a plastic pitch or a muddy pitch? Answer carefully. Muddy pitch. A well, muddy pitch, I think the plastic pitches didn't do their joints any good. Mm. So though I would have, I would have kept cleaner, um, I don't think it's done the players' joints much good. What was it like moving so, from the plastic of Kenilworth Road to the grass of the lane? Yeah, good. Mm. Yeah, good. I, I always preferred the grass pitch, and I... Sometimes even the old muddy pitches, you know, they, they brought something to the game, didn't it? It was, you know, it was something. It, yeah, that, that's right. I mean, covered in mud, and you know, it, it, yeah, that, that's what the game was all about. You know, I remember going to Port Vale once, and uh, Tottenham it was an FA Cup tonight. We got beat actually by by the pitch. How the players were playing on it because I tried to run on it and I couldn't. You know. Uh, <laughs> it was a job to run on. It was like it, it was like um, a plough field. No, and I've, I've seen pictures of it. I saw pictures the other day. Oh. I don't understand how you could be allowed to earn a living on a bath of mud. But them's were the days. I, I love how you describe your brief time as kit man. You didn't get into football to be a kit man. Very oh. pleased that you managed to convert David away from the idea that you would pick up the slips and stuff. Yeah, David, uh, that, that was all part of, the, part of the job in them days, you know. The kit man and the physio went together, hand in hand. But I found that it was, you know, being kit man was distracting me away from what I love doing, and that was to treat players and their injuries. And I felt that I couldn't give 100% to uh, to that if, if they wanted to be, to be kit man. Because you would be treating the player and then someone would come up and say, well, look, I need a slip or I need a pair of shorts or socks. or So uh, luckily enough, David, in his wisdom, um, decided that uh, he would give the kit man to George and uh, let me get on with uh, the jobs I love doing. Indeed. Um, which, which was I to, I should say, it was to um, enforce a happy and trusting environment. And the best football clubs... I think, are the best workplaces. How amazing must it be to go to the Etihad campus every day as a Man City player or Arsenal at London Colney with all of the Wenger-bought equipment? So it's the environment. So you're not just treating bodies, you're treating minds as well. Absolutely, yeah. The mental part always comes in. You always, when you treat a player's injury, you're treating his mind as well. You, you have to be a... Psychiatrists, really, because you are treating their you're treating their mind. When, when you treat a player, I learned that early doors that um, you don't, just don't treat a player's body. You treat you treat the whole person, and that includes his his mind. And uh, you know they've got to trust you completely. You know, and, and in all the time I was in football, I never got a player fined. It was man to man. We would we would sort things out. If we had a problem, we we would sort it out. Between us, I never run to the manager. I know Terry, Terry Venables and David Fleet thought I was too soft, you know, but I wasn't. I that was my manage, management. That's how I was 
looking after the players because they trusted me. And then if they had a problem with their family or, you know, their loss of form could be, you know, there could be a problem why they weren't playing. Well, well, if you'd just been bawling at them and shouting at them from the, you know, um, you know, especially from the bench, you know, during the game, because you had a substitute man, he would go back and he would tell, he would say to the players, he physio, he was shouting, you know, at you. But so that was important. You, you become detached from the game. And the players then would speak openly in front of you and trust you completely. I've known at Luton and Tottenham, you know, where players would be speaking openly in front of me and then someone would walk in and they would uh, change subjects straight, straight away because they never trusted them. Mm. And uh, I know that Paul Stewart is one of the players who played for Tottenham. Um, we know what happened now. Yeah. I, won't, I won't ask... I won't ask if he poured his heart out to you, but what was going on behind the scenes in the 70s and 80s? Nothing at Luton, nothing at Spurs. Amazingly, I think. No, that, no, yeah, no. And nor would I, I expect I him to. Have toler- I wouldn't have tolerated it. If, yeah. if anything like that had ever gone on, uh, same as drugs or anything like that, that would have been it. You know, um, the manager would have been called and, and it would have been sorted out. But no, no, that that, that, that was just, uh, no, taboo. If anything like that happened, it was wrong. And, and Paul, I did read, uh, you know, and, and it, it's, it's very sad. And I'm, I'm really pleased that, uh, you know, things are being sorted out. Yes. Because to me, it, it's terrible. They are you know, humans. Terrible. They have all I these dreams. And it's, yeah, it's worse. Gymnastics seems to be worse. We've got something going on where the whole Icelandic FA have resigned because there's an investigation in there. Um, So that'll be the next one. And then you've got the football, the elite footballer coming out. I'm sure you know of gay footballers. You're not going to betray their confidence, but yeah. No, yeah. Yeah, and this was the era of Justin Fashionu, whom you would have seen tear down defences. Unfortunately, yeah. for Luton. Yeah. I recognise you're not the first physio. You're the first named physio, John Sheridan, to bring out a book about football and physiotherapy. Do you know who the secret physio is? Do you know the Guardian have their secret footballer and one of the series of their books is what the physio saw? I don't know. You could have a guess, but I wouldn't say. I've, there's lots of things that you see, but you never divulge, you know, because yep. that is part of the ethics of... Uh, of being a physio, you know, you have to respect the privacy of these players and things that they tell you in confidence. You would never divulge, even if they tied you in a chair and tortured you. You, you would never divulge even to anyone, the manager or or anyone. The way I always approached it, if I felt a player was, had a real problem, I would say to the manager, have you spoke to so-and-so lately? And they say, well, why? Well, why don't you have a chat with them? Then it would be up to the player if he wanted the manager to know, to tell him. Um, and that's the way I approached it, and it did work. Um, and if I had problems with players, any players at all, I would get the senior players to sort it out for me. Mm-hmm. And they would do it. They would they would sort any problem I had out, because they never wanted to see me upset. It's so important that being in a football club, that when you're working in a football club as a physio, that you remain the same. So... It's no good being on a high one day and on low the next day because players can't relate to you. But if you try and be the same, however you're feeling, deep down, even if you've got a problem, because they've got to be able to come up to you and talk to you and 
just say, look, I've got a problem, John, can you help me? And, and if I can't help them, then I'll try and put in touch with someone that can. Um, Good workplace without, behavior. Yeah. yeah, without betraying any confidence, you know. A couple of quick questions to finish. I get injured, I fall down on the pitch, you come on waving and doff your capping at the crowd. What do you do? Yeah. What is the first thing you do? when addressing me, comma, an injured player? Treat the most serious injury that you've got. So if you've been knocked on the head or that, or you're unconscious, make sure your breathing's okay. So you go in um, the severity of the injuries. So it's no, no good you having a broken leg, but you stop breathing. And I treat your broken leg brilliantly, but you're dead. Putting it bluntly, so I must look after your uh, the priorities in, in first aid. Um, so that's how I always worked. Right. And, uh, and if, so if, if someone's on the floor screaming and shouting, you know that he's, uh, he's breathing. So, you know, yes. so if you're quiet, if you run onto a player and he's very quiet and he's laying there and you know your players, so if you've got a hard guy that is hard on the field and he's laying there very, very quiet and still, and you get your, get your skates on, mate. But he's got a problem. Mm-hmm. What if you've just got, like happened with the England game yesterday, there was a class of shins. Would, it, would the magic sponge and a bit of deep heat work in that example? I think you've got to take it, each injury as, as a separate one. And you've got, you've got to be really careful. You've got always uh, caution. Caution is a thing on the field. So you've got to be you've got to be very careful when you run on the field. I mean, I've had some horrific injuries, broken legs, and and that, and nerve damage. And how can you diagnose it? Diagnose it. Do it in a calm manner. Um, reassure the player, and and there's never usually a problem. And then you can decide what your next move is. Whether he's coming off the field, or you can manage it on the field. Most of the most of the knocks you can you can manage on the field, but you've got to be very very careful because you can miss something if you you know because nowadays the game is played at, at such a fast pace and in smaller areas of the field. I mean, you get two players hit each other; it's like two cars hitting each other. So you do get some horrific injuries, and uh, your management on the field is so important to their future career. If you make a bad decision on the field. Um, you could you could mess their career up, so you've got to be very very cautious, very careful. You know, you so you go about it very quietly and, and just get on with the job. Reassurance is very very important. You tell the player he's going to be okay. I'm looking after you, um, and then so the management of the player on the field is is important. And whatever injury it is, you know, you, this is this is the right way to go about it. In my opinion, mm-hmm. you know, and any good physio would would say the same, you know. Don't take any chances on the field. You know, referee's got his whistle. We can add time up the end. I had a referee once. I was trying to get a player. He, he actually dislocated his thumb at Arsenal. And the, and, the, and the referee kept coming up to me and saying, look, I've got a train to catch, looking at his watch. And in the end, I just had to tell him to take one and get away from me cause, because he was just annoying me. And, uh, you know, I said, we'll catch a later train. But this is what this is what Jeez. has happened. You know, that's happened. Well, yeah, referees, eh? Uh, Mark Clattenburg's got a book out this Christmas. 
I don't know if you'll be yeah. reading it. Um, I'm just looking, it's Corby Town, isn't it? Northampton. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. They have a couple of home games in November against Cambridge City, big game, and Loughborough Dynamo. Uh, this is the yeah. league. They play in the Isthmian North. So what's that? Step yeah. four? Step three, four? Yeah. Low, low down, but, but good. I think they, they won Saturday in the FA Cup, I believe, Corby. They did, yes. Uh, and, oh God, there's loads of leagues in that level. Which one? South East? Midland? I'm not... Hang on. I'm not sure, Johnny. I think it'd be Midland, wouldn't it? I'll have a look. That's where we are, really. We're yeah. East Midlands. Four games, one win from the first four. Northern Midlands, uh, Chasetown, yeah. Yaxley, Sutton Coalfield, all in that division. So, yes, you need to get your skates on uh, because yeah. it's a tough division to get out. And that gets promoted where? To the Ryman North or South? I think it's, I think it's the Ryman. It'd be, yeah. it'd be the North, wouldn't it? Yeah, yes, I, would say, I would think so, yeah. So yeah, have a yeah. good season at Corby. Uh, I'll try and get along because yeah. Watford to Northampton's a very easy. Uh, and I will take this book with me, the Limping Physio, uh, John Sheridan, whose new book is priced nineteen ninety nine and is out on Pitch Publishing. Limping, interestingly, is in quotation marks. Forwards by David Pleat and Gary Mabbott. Um, I think you could do away with the uh, the limping. This is a physio through and through. And uh, congratulations to you and family for getting this book out. Uh, the recollections are of a bygone era before money ruined football. It's a good corrective to all the Beckham, Henri, Neville and Carragher bands. I just I can't watch or listen to top level football anymore. I can't do it. No, no. I watch occasional game, but it's it, Johnny. It's not the same to me. You know, I, I was lucky. I had that era where, where football was brilliant. You know, I loved it. I loved it. You know, it was. It was. I loved going to work. I loved. I loved mm-hmm. on the Saturday the game. You know, it was, it was just brilliant. Unless we forget, you, know? you got paid a salary to attend two FA Cup finals. That's a bit of luck. Yeah, absolutely. I was very, very fortunate. My my thing always was to run on the field at Wembley. That's all I ever wanted to do for a cup final, and I was lucky because I got two. Got two cup finals. You know, which was brilliant. You know, the first one, OK, Coventry, we got beat. Great final, one of the greatest ever. Uh, we had a small squad. Uh, second one, unfortunately, Paul got injured. And uh, so it marred it for me and for him, of course. Um, but we won. So, yeah, very, very fortunate. And, and you know, I've been lucky. I mean, I, I look back now and, and when I started writing this book and I started writing it for the grandchildren, I thought, Blimey, you're lucky. You had a great life. A great life in football. You met all these lovely people, all these great people, Cluffy, and you know, and you had two great managers you worked for. Never, you never sacked me, so yeah. so I was pleased about that. And I it's never all got sacked. And yeah, yeah, that was brilliant. All between the covers of this book that I'm so glad that you've written, John Sheridan. Have a wonderful rest of your autumn. Up the Corby. I don't know, the presses? Just like the library! Just like the library!